Four cautious. Four cautious. Number one. Avinu dies in this week's parsha, and the Torah delivers the only hespid in Kala Terakul is in this week's parsha. Torah says Avram was zaken v'saveya. Rabban says it means he died with everything. He, everything he had, komish alis libay, he had. Really? That's the hespid for Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu was the first and perhaps the only human being ever to discover the Rebbein Shalom on his own. Avram Avinu was thrown into a burning furnace, the Kivshim. Avram Avinu was willing to shaft his son on the Mizbeach. And the best thing you could come up with for his Hespid was that he had two yachts, a Tesla, and a mansion in France. He had everything he ever wanted. Thus it, thus it had gone to Hespid for Avram Avinu. Come on, you're jipping him. It's one kasha. Great kasha. Kasha number two, greater. The end of last week's parasha, we had that keva. After that keva, HaKadosh Baruch Hu certified Avram Avinu. Ati Adati, now I know, ki yurei elekim ata. You are a yurei elekim. That is the highest mountain. Avram Avinu climbed the highest mountain. He held every record, so to speak. Okay, hang it up then. There's nothing left to prove. The Pasik says in the end of Kehaz, Being a Yurei Kim is the highest human achievement. Now, Kodesh Baruch Hu himself, not, not the Mashkiach, not somebody else, Kodesh Baruch Hu himself said, You are Yurei Kim. There's nothing left to prove. There's nothing left to prove. He did it. He has the Rebbein Shalom stamp of approval. You're in Why, therefore, does this week's parasha start with the tenth Nisayan of Avram Avinu? The Nisayan of Kvura Sara, which is that the Akash Baruch promised you are at Yisrael, and then you have to go handle, my father calls Ephraim a used car salesman. You have to handle with this Ephraim used car salesman guy and haggle over the price of an 84 Camry. You know, like, it's talking to science. But what's there left to prove? And a science a test to see what you're made of, to see your metal, M-E-T-T-L-E. And a science is, is a test. Avram Avinu is made of good stuff. We had it in last week's parasha. He passed. We're done. Why is there a need for a further Nesayin? Kasha number three. The science of Kura Sara is a movie we've seen before. It's the same as several other Nisiyanis. A lot of the Nisiyanis go as follows. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Avram one thing, and then takes it away. Go to Eretz Yisrael. Gets Eretz Yisrael, unpacks, sits down. There's a family, I have to go to Mitzrayim. Ah, good Benjamin, what are you doing to me? You told me to go to Eretz Yisrael. It's a Nisiyan. He made it through. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Avram Avinu, I'm going to give you a son. Ki b'yitzchak yikar al-chazara. And the next thing you know, Kosh Baruch says, take that son and shecht him on Har Maria. What, well, you just gave me a son? Kosh Baruch gives something and takes it away. Tests Avram. Here also, I'm giving you Eretz Yisrael, Arkol, Arachba. Give me the entire Eretz Yisrael, it's all yours. Next thing you know, you have to buy a burial spot for your wife and land that's yours from some guy who keeps moving the goalposts on you. It's the same sign. We've seen this before. Avram passed it. Forget the fact that he passed that cave. This is the same Messiah. And every time Avram says, I know you're out for my good. I'm not questioning you. Why again? Forget the fact that he has Hashem's stamp. He did this Messiah in itself. This is a repeat. And finally, famous passage, Hashem Beirach is Avram Bakol. Kosh Baruch blessed Avram with everything. Says Rashi, what does Bakol mean? Bakol is Begematria Ben this question. Why doesn't the Torah say Hashem blessed Avram with a son? If that's what it means, say it like that. It's the same, it's the same amount of letters. It's not even Enenu Tahira, like you know, the Torah didn't want to waste letters, it's a Shainenu Tahira. But it's the same number of letters. If that's what Torah meant, let the Torah say it. Why does the Torah have to talk in code? 
By call means bet. To answer all these kashas, I'm going to read a couple lines of Ramban. Ramban says, after the Nisayan of Kvura Sara, Ramban says a perplexing, puzzling paragraph. The reason the Torah wrote this down is to show Hashem's chesed to Avram. He was a great person. That he was an immigrant and he still turned into a Nasi. And everyone called him master. Very impressive. Awesome. <coughs> and in his lifetime, he achieved notoriety and fame and fortune and power and popularity in a person's lifetime. That's awesome. <coughs> and says the Ramban, This was the sign of our He needed a place to find Sarah. And he had to buy it. This paragraph makes no sense. This paragraph makes no sense. This paragraph says, Avram Avinu had all this, the, the sign was, Avram Avinu had all this notoriety. And he had to find the cover for Sarah. What does that have to do with having the notoriety? That's good stuff. That's not a sign. That's good. So don't talk about that when you talk about the sign. The sign is that you have to deal with, with effort. Why, why are you telling me he was great and he had popularity and notoriety? What's the Ramban talking about? It's a beautiful piece from Reb Simcha Zizel Brody. Reb Simcha Zizel Brody was Rashiv in Hebron. And uh, he lived here in Baltimore for many years because he had eye surgery, remember? When I was in ninth grade. When you were in ninth grade. So I was a little kid, I was younger than him. I remember my father took me to him. He was a, a princely person. The, the, the biography of him is called Mesich Mamlech HaSafer, the prince of the terror world. He, he was, you know, a real princely person. He has a gorgeous shadow. He says, there's two, type, there's two types of Messianus. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could put a person in a terrible place, give him a terrible situation, and the person cannot question. You know, we found, we know from when we were kids, people that went through terrible things, they didn't question their Benjamin, and they came out, and they were from a Yidin, they put on film. Incredible. HaKadosh Baruch Hu did something to them, and rather than them say, why me, not fair, he has that, why do I get this, life stinks, not fair, they said, you know, the Rebbe has a plan for me, they accepted it. That's an assignment, and that's passing the assignment. And then there's another level. Then there's another level. That not only do you make it through an assignment, not only do you survive an assignment, you thrive through an assignment. You grow through an assignment. You prosper through an assignment. That's a whole nother level of an assignment. And yes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said last week that Avram Avinu is a Yerei Elikim. Avram Avinu can be thrown an assignment and not question the Rebbe Nisham. He can withstand the type of the urge to say, what are you doing? And he does. He doesn't question the Rebbe He passed that test. There's still another test. Can you be put in a terrible situation and still find good? Can you be put in a terrible situation and still say, there's so much good here. There's so much to learn from. It's not just I should survive this terrible <laughs> incident, this terrible situation, this terrible situation I've been placed in. It's how can I grow from it? And that is, that is the Nisayan of Parshish Chayisar. That, like the Ramban says, like the Ramban says, that Avram Avinu had all this greatness and he was tested. We asked, what's the Ramban talking about? This is what he means. That Avram Avinu could say, not only is HaKadosh Baruch Hu testing, and this stinks that I have to deal with this jerk effort, but look how much good your version did for me. In the depths of an Asayan, in the depths of a problem, Avram Avinu was still able to focus on the positive and pull positive out. That's a whole nother level. So no, this is not a movie we've seen before. This is not a repeat of the other Nisayanists, and this is even greater than the Akeda. My wife once bought me a paper holder for my desk. I don't know why she bought this for me, but um, it says as follows. 
Life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. It's an old one. Huh? It's an old one. Yeah, I know. She brought it from my grandpa. <coughs> no. Um, so that's mamish what Rosimchazis will say. This last Nisayan is Avramavino proved <coughs> he could not get wet. He cannot give up because it's raining. This Nisayan is learning to dance in the rain. And that's what's different about this. Even after the Akedah, the Akedah is survival. Misa Sar and Kura Sara is thriving through bad times, growing through bad times, finding the positive in bad times. And that is the Hesped of Avramavinu. Avramavinu's crowning moment was not that he survived, it's that he thrived. How do you touch up Avramavinu? He was a Saveya. He was a satisfied person. Avramavinu went through a tough life. He went through a Sara you know? No one should know from Asara Nesiyainis. All of us have a couple Nesiyainis. Avram Avinu had Asara Nesiyainis. And from those Asara Nesiyainis, Avram Avinu was a satisfied person. This Hesped on Avram Avinu is the ultimate compliment that a person can be given. He didn't pass, he thrived. He didn't make it through, he grew. And that's why this is the Hesped for Avram Avinu. And that's why it says Bakal that Avram Avinu had the ability, when given a situation, not just to see it for what it is. You could see something myopically. You could see something just with blinders, just the item itself. That would be Hashem gave Avram a ben. Avram Avinu didn't just see what was in front of him. He didn't just see the situation as it was. He saw everything around it, all of the good. Hashem berachas Avram bakol. Hashem gave Avram everything, and that's how Avram viewed it. He didn't just view a blessing as a blessing, he viewed it as bakal. He didn't just go through an Nisayan and, and make it. He grew from it. He bakaled everything. He saw the big picture and everything. It wasn't just Baben, it was bakal. And that's Mamash, the ultimate Hesped on Avram Avinu. Of proving that the granted there's a better pacing room here. You should just we have to we have to we have to be my dilemmas. It's better for my types. Um, anyway, like this. We were trying to prove why a sukkah cannot be less than ten fachim high. And even though this went unsaid, we explained, but this like you know we'll see later, it's clear in the Marsha. The general mahalach of this proof is that a sukkah where you're going to live as a house has to be a rishus. Something that is less than a rishus is impossible to be called a sukkah. A sukkah has to be a rishus. It's impossible to live in something, to call something a halachic status of a sukkah if it's not a rishus. So therefore, our goal was to prove that something less than 10 Tfachim is not a Rishos. And we went about it originally in a three-step process, and we said, we said that, number one, HaKadosh Baruch Hu never comes onto earth. Yet we know HaKadosh Baruch Hu camped out on top, the Shekhinah rested on top of the Aaron. So, if the Shekhinah rested on top of the Aaron, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu never goes to earth, so where the Rebbeinu Shalom is has to be another Rishos. Namely, namely, oh, namely, is that a reward? <laughs> namely, yeah. are those fresh? Uh, it's sheer to stop, everybody. <laughs> We're checking the uh, freshness donuts. of the donuts. Ben, we love your like frankness and honesty. Yeah. Sudashen of Maspek is Labila. Tito, what mile marker is Elliot right now? <laughs> so he's a bad knee, so. So we know that a Baruch rested at ten, and we know that a Baruch rested. Oh sorry, ten isn't Rush ten is Rushus, and we know that a Baruch rested on top of the arm. If I could just prove that the arm was 10 high, I win. Says the Gemara, okay, I'll prove it this way. 
The Aron was for sure nine. That is not up for debate because it says, Amasai Vachaitzi, Kemasai. So that is nine Tvachim. The only tricky part was the Kapiris, and that we proved last time. We made a heckish between the Kapiris and the and the um, uh, the Mizgaris. That was what we did Thursday night. We're picking up in middle of there, which means we have two and a half out of three pieces. Number one, Hakadosh Baruch doesn't go to earth. Number two, Hakadosh Baruch rests on top of the Aron and Kapiris. Number three is that the Aron and Kapiris is ten Tvachim, half of which is easy. The Aron is nine. How we prove that the lid of the Aron, the top of the Aron, the Kapiris, is a Tefach, is what gave us issues Thursday night. We finally proved it from a Hekish. We're going to fix second part of third step now. Meaning, the Aron is nine, we know. How do we know that the Kapiris is one Tefach? We are one line from the bottom of Hayam and Bez, actually two words from the end of the second to last line, Rav Huna Amr Mehach. Hayam and Bez? Bottom line of Hayam and Alf, I'm sorry. Rav Huna Amr Mehach. Rav Huna says, we learned that last step of part three from here. It says, Al Pnei HaKapiris Kedma. It uses the word Pnei in conjunction with the Kapiris. The Kapiris when we instruct the Kaingadal where to sprinkle the blood in Yom Kippur, it says Al Pnei Kapiris, the front of the Kapiris, but instead it uses the Lashem Pnei. And Pnei says the Gemara, And we have a tradition that a human face, even from a very um, small person, is never less than a Tefach. So that's, that's your answer. Again, part one and two is the same. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't come to earth. Where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, is a separate shus. Where does HaKadosh Baruch Hu hang on top of the Aron? We know that the Aron is nine. How big is the Kapiris? One. How are we proving it? It says Pinay. Pinay is a face. A face is never less than a Tefach. Says the Gemara. Whoa, one second. You're judging from faces? So a human face is a Tefach. How about a face of this giant bird? Has a huge face. Says the Gemara, Maybe the Pinay over here in the Pasuk, that the Kapiris is as big as a Pinay, is as big as a face. Maybe that face is a Baryuchni's face. Baryuchni is a huge bird. And its face is many Tvachim big. So maybe the Kapiris that is, a, that is equal to a Pinay, a face of something, maybe it's not a human face. Maybe it's a huge bird face. Meaning, you're picking face. Who says it's a human face? Maybe it's a face of a, the species with the biggest face on earth. It's a yuch face. I guess what was wrong with the first thing? Oh, oh, oh. Because in the end of the day, in the end of the day, there were some leaps. Which means we said, we said that you're learning from the Miscaris. Why don't you learn from the Tsar? Because it's a tasha. Well, isn't the mascaris a tasha? Well, it's not a tasha. Why don't you learn from the tzitz? And I was like, there, there were many holes in. You know, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't perfect. It wasn't beyond reproach. So my answer is once again, tafasta maruba tafasta maruba tafasta tafasta mua tafasta, which means whenever you have an opportunity to take, take the smaller one. Don't take the bigger one. And therefore, yes, you have to learn out Pnei. So learn out human face, don't learn out huge bird face. Because huge bird face would be taking more than you have to take. When you take, like we said on Thursday night, when you take more than you have to take, you're subject to being disproven. So I says, ah, so you're going small. So you want to learn from a small face. So, fine. Then you don't have a tefach. If your whole thing is, I need to find a source for a face. And you need it to be a tefach. So you said a human face is a tefach. Why not go bigger? Because who says you could go bigger? Okay, fine, go smaller. The face of the smallest bird, like a, um, a hummingbird or a parakeet, like the face is this big. So if you want to learn out from a face and you don't want to go big, go small. And then you have pinay, which is one inch big. Says the Gemara, ve'ema ka'ape ditsiparta, Maybe means like the face of a small bird, the zutter tuva, which is really, really small. 
Says the Gemara. No. We're not speculating here. This is not, let's find a face and fill in the blank. This is a real Xerashava. The Torah uses the word Pnei by the Kapiris. So we need another place in the Torah where it uses the word Pnei. Not a face of something fill in the blank species. We need a place in the Torah that uses the word Pnei. And wouldn't you know, it's in this week's parsha. Mamash cool. Says the Gemara, Ksivhacha el and it says over there in our parsha, Me'es Pnei Yitzchak Aviv. From the, when Yaakov says, he says, Me'es Pnei Yaakov Aviv, from the face of Yaakov his father, Yitzchak Aviv, the face of Yitzchak his father. Says the Gemara, I'm not speculating here. I'm not looking for, well, what face can I fill in? The Tyra used the Lashem Pinay by the Kapiris. I need a place where, a species, where it actually uses the word Pinay in conjunction with that species. What is that? Humans. This week's parasha, we have the face of Yitzchak Avinu using Pinay. So we see that when the Tyra uses the word Pinay, it's referring to a human face. A human face is the only actual time the Torah uses the word Pinay, and therefore, and therefore, I have to learn that from a human face, and that's how I know that the Kapiris was one Tefach. Says the Gemara, one second, I'm another Pasuk in this week's Parsha. V'neil mi panam shalmala. Then maybe learn out, maybe learn out from Hashem's face, which we assume is much bigger than a Tefach. Tichsev, like when Yaakov Avinu tells Esav, seeing you is like seeing the face of Hashem. Yaakov Avinu tells Esav, seeing your face is like seeing the face of Hashem. So if your assumption is that you have to learn a real Xerishava, it says by the Kapiris Pinei, and it says, we need another place in the Torah where it says Pinei. And you think, oh, the only other time it says Pinei is in reference, in conjunction with a human. Not true. Not true. It's used in conjunction with the Rebbeinu Shalom. And the Rebbeinu Shalom, and the Rebbeinu Shalom, is, his face is bigger than a Tefach. Says the Gemara, once again, you're right, okay. You're right, I'm guilty. There are two Pinei's in the Torah. So you have a choice to connect the Kapiris to, to a human face or to Hashem's face being bigger. We're once again going to apply it to Fasta Merubalei Tafasta. Says the Gemara, Tafasta Merubalei Tafasta, Tafasta Merubalei Tafasta. Says the Gemara, okay, fine, so far so good. There's another time it uses the word Pinei in the Torah. When it refers to the Kruven. V'nei me Kruv. Maybe the Kapiris. The pnei at the kapiris is the size of a krov. And there it also actually uses the word pnei. Says the Gemara, says the Gemara, ela kapiris, you pnei hakruvim. The kapiris is the pnei hakruvim. So we see that the word pnei is used also in conjunction with a krov. So how do you know to match the pnei of the kapiris to a human face, which is a tavach, and then you would have a source. Maybe you should match it up with a Kruv's face. Says the Gemara, the Kruvim are also a tavach. So fine, you want to learn out of there, because hate. Says the Gemara, Omar of Achabar Yankov, Gemiri, we have a tradition, Ein Pnei Kruvim, Chusimi Tefach. You're right. The faces on the Kruvim are also a tavach. In fact, Ravuna actually learns it out from here. If you, want, if you ask Ravuna, how do you know that the Aran is ten Tvachim high, so the Aran is nine Tvachim, the Kaparis at Tefach, how do I know that from? From the Kruvim. So in other words, you're telling me, oh, why are you learning it out of Pinei Yitzchak, a human face? Why aren't you learning out of a face of a Kruv? Fine. You want to learn out of a face of a Kruv? It's also a Tefach. In fact, Ravuna, if you ask him where he knows the Aran is ten high, learns it out from the Kruv. You know, you want to make me do that? I'm fine to do that. Now, the Gemara goes a little on a diversion now. Umay Kruv. What does the word Kruv mean? What is a Kruv? What is a Kruv? We know the Kruvim, right in English, are the Kruvim also. What is a Kruv? Says the Gemara, Umay Kruv, Omer Babo, Kiravya. 
like a baby. The face of a crook is like a small child. She came to Bavel because in Bavel, Kairin Lianuka Ravia. In Bavel, they call a child a Ravia. Um, by the way, the um, this is Margolis the Amit Sanhedrin. The Gemara does this every once in a while. The Gemara learns out a word in the Tyra from what they call in another language. Like, why does that work? Because I'm saying the word in the Tyra means such and such. Because in African, the Gemara in Sanhedrin says that word, you know, for instance, how do you know that you're supposed to have four parishes in the Torah? Because this is Tait So Tat in one language is two, in Katfi, and Pas in Afriki is two. So you have the two in one language, the two in another language equals four. The Torah is in Russian Pedish, it's not in African, and it's not in Katfi. So Margalas Hayam says that since all the other languages, their source is the Lashon HaKadosh of the Torah. That all languages come from the Torah anyway, so the Torah has a right, the Gemara has a right, to source words in the Torah from other languages because those languages source, once upon a time, emanated from the Torah. So it's, a leg- it's not going in circles. It's a legitimate thing to learn out what a word in the Torah means, if it doesn't mean anything else in Lashon HaKadosh, from what another language means because that language, once upon a time, emanated from so anyway, so over here, Kruv means child, because in Lashon of, of Bavel, in Babylonian, Ravya is a child. So the Mara says, really? A face, the face of a Kruv is a child? Elamayata Diksiv, when the, the, uh, the Pasuk in Yecheskel discusses HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Kisei. How does HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Merkava look? So Yecheskel says, I saw on the four sides of the Merkava, four images. One was a lion, one was an eagle, and it says, Pinea Echad, one was Pineha Krov, one was a Krov, and the second was the face of a, was the face of a human. So, asks the Gemara, you're telling me a Krov is a human, you see a Cheskel distinguishes, you see a Cheskel says, one is a human and one is a krov, which is mashma, a krov is not a human. Says the Gemara, no, no problem, no problem. Sigmar um, says, one is a big face, one is a small face. And that's why Yechezkel is making the distinction. One's a face of human, one's a face of a krov. Fine, we're good, which means. How do we know that a sukkah has to be ten? Gemara says, because a sukkah has to be a rishos. And we know that a Karsh Baruch didn't go on her. Yet, he hung out on top of the arn. How big was the arn? The arn was ten. So we see that ten is a rishos. How do you know that the arn is ten? Because the arn part was for sure nine. The kapiris part was a tefach. Either you go Thursday night, because we learn out of the mascaris, or you go with tonight, we learn out of Xer Shava, Pnei Pnei, either from a human face or from a krov. Bottom line is, after three nights, that's our source. That's our source that a sukkah has to be ten. That a sukkah needs to be rishos. Hakadosh Baruch Hu doesn't go on earth. He's in another rishos. He goes on top of the iron, and the iron is ten. Says the Gemara, in one fell swoop, ostensibly. Don't worry, we're going to come back to this. Ostensibly, we throw it all away. Says the Gemara, umimai dechlala. How do you know that the hollow part, the airspace, is asara, bar misichacha, without the schach, eima bahade sichacha, maybe it's with the schach. If I would ask you, what are we looking for a source for? We're looking for a source that a sukkah has to be ten tvachim. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean that a sukkah has to be Ten tefachim total, schach included, or does that mean that a sukkah has to be ten tefachim of airspace and then schach? Of course we know, like we've discussed in the past, a sukkah has to be ten tefachim of living space without the schach. So says the Gemara in a bomb kasha, you failed. Your job was to give me a source 
that a sukkah has to have pentfachim of airspace before you hit the schach. You have to have ten tfachim of living space without the schach. All your sources just now gave me a total of ten tfachim, which includes the top. And that is not what I'm looking for a source for. I'm looking for a source for ten tfachim of living space beside the schach. You've given me a source for ten total tfachim, including the schach. You failed. So if you go with the Thursday night way of learning it, if you go with tonight's way of learning it, it's all the same thing. It all proves the Aaron, which is a total of 10, and, a, and it's a separate shows. Great. You're right, it's a separate shows. But that doesn't say that I need 10 Tvachim living space before I get to the Schach. You've proven I have 10 Tvachim living space, including the Schach. Says the Gemara, How do you know? I need a source that the chlala, the halal, the hollow part, the inside, the living space, is bar without the schach, beside the schach, independent of the schach. Ema, with these sources, I can say, that you need ten, including the schach, which would provide me grace. Eight, nine, tvachim of living space, which is not what the source, what I'm looking for. Goodbye. We just lost everything. We'll see. The Marsha says we needed to do what we did the last two nights. We'll say from the Marsha in a minute why it was necessary. But at this point, at this point, we are totally without a source. That source totally did not help us. So Mara says another source. We learned from the Beis Hamigdash. Beis Hamigdash is the real Beis Hamigdash, not the Mishka. It was 60 Amis long, 20 wide. That's the main thing we're interested in. The Hechal of the Beis Hamigdash was 30 Amis high. When you walked in the door, it was. When you, walk, when you walk in the door, it was 30 amas high. To be Samigdash at built was 30 amas high. Says the Gemara, Viksiv, Viksiv, Koimas Hakruvha Echad Eser Ba'ama. Now, there's a big misconception. We all remember from elementary school, and now we see from our kids' elementary school, the picture of the Kruvim that they are on top of the Aaron. That's true. Only in the Mishkan. Only in the Mishkan. In the Beis HaMikdash, the Kruvim were freestanding. They stood on the side of the Aaron. They were not on top of the Aaron. They were freestanding and they went over the Aaron. So each Kruv went from the floor, from the floor, Eser Ba'ama. Ten Amis high, v'chein akruv Hashem. When did that change? Or why did it change? Is there a reason? I think Shlemim made it more beautiful. He just wanted it that Yeah, just like the Mizbech was much bigger. The Mizbech and the Beit HaMikdash wasn't the Amasayim, v'chein Tziarka, etc. Everything Shlemim did, he did more grand. So, says the Gemara, we get from the Beit HaMikdash a ratio. Because Shlema, maybe he made it bigger, but he did it to scale. So we get from the Beis Hamikdash a ratio. In the real Beis Hamikdash, the ratio of kruv to height is one third. The kruvim stood at one third of the total height. Says the Gemara, the Tanya we learned in a brayso, just like we found in the real Beis HaMikdash, the permanent Beis HaMikdash, Beis HaLama means the permanent Beis HaMikdash, Kruvim, Bishlish Habayis Heinaimdim, the Kruvim stood at one-third of the height of the Beis HaMikdash, Mishkanami, by the Mishkan also, Kruvim, Bishlish Habayis Heinaimdim, the Kruvim were at one-third of the height of the Mishkan. So that, um, in, in there were floors, but not there. Which means in the um, in the uh, courtyard of the Azara, 
there were two floors in some places of the, yeah, of like, you know, the walls had offices on both floors. And, you know, the Mishnah in Midas discusses them. But in, in, in the Heichal, the Heichal is just one towering building. So, says the Gemara, so we can take from the Beis HaMikdash the ratio to the Mishka. Just like in the Beis HaMikdash, the building was 30 amas high and the Kruvim were 10 amas high, meaning a one-third ratio of Kruv to bias. so too in the Mishkan, the ratio remained the same, the scale remained the same, so too in the Beis HaMikdash, so too in the Beis HaMikdash, same thing. Right? So, in the Mishkan also, the Kruvim were at one third. The Mishkan Kamahave. How tall is the Mishkan? Ten Amis. Eser Amis. Dixiv. Eser Amis. Ten Amis. Eurich HaKeresh was the length of each beam, and that's how tall the Mishkan were. How many Tfachim is ten Amis? Well, if there's six tefach for Amma, so the Mishkan was 60 tefachim high. Shisim Pushchi, 60 tefachim. Telasa Kamahave, one third of it is how much? Because the Kruvim stood at one third. Esr Pushchi, 20 tefachim. So the height of the Kruvim being at one third of the building's height, the building being 20 the 60 Tvachim high, the Kruvim therefore stood at 20 Tvachim. <coughs> now, in the Mishkan, the Kruvim were on top of the Ark. So how much space was there from the Ark to the Kruvim? In other words, how much space did the Kruvim provide roof over? How much gap was there? How much space was there? How much airspace did the Kruvim provide roof over? Says the Gemara, Dal Asara Da'aran V'Kapiris minus the 10 of the Aran and Kapiris. Points out the Marsha. So we didn't waste our time for the last two nights. We still need that Cheshben that the Aran and the Kapiris were 10 Fachim. We're not learning it out from there, but we didn't waste two nights. Says the Gemara, Hashulu Asara, you have ten left. And what Lashon does it use? What verb do the Kruvim do? The Kruvim are schach. Viksiv, Vahayu Akruvim, Parse, Kenafayim, Lamaila, Soichechim, Bekadfeim, Alakapiris. They act as schach on the Kapiris. Karie, Rachmana, Sichacha, Lamaila, Measara. The Tyra calls it schach above ten. Says the Gemara, this is our Bakar that schach is 10 above the surface that it is. Because we get this figure that Kruvim are one third of the height of the building. So in the Mishkan, where the building was 60 Tvachim high, because it was 10 Amis high, because the crush were 10 Amis. So each Amis 6 Tvachim. So the building was 60 Amis high. So the Kruvim were at one third, were at 20 Tvachim. Now you minus the 10 of the Aaron, so the area that the Kruvim provided schach over, the area that the Kruvim were seichachim, is an area of ten tvachim. You see, the Tyra calls schach on something that is a schach over ten, and that is the source that a sukkah has to be ten tvachim. Yes, we'll stop here for Hazar, yes. Version 2.0 about why or the source for the fact that a sukkah cannot be 10 cannot be less than 10 a sukkah has to be at least 10 so the first attempt was to prove three step proof that that a uh, rishos which a sukkah of course has to be a rishos the minimum size for a rishos the minimum size for a rishos is 10 tfach. so so the minimum size for Rishos is 10 Tvachim. How do we know that? Because we know Hashem wouldn't go on earth, yet Hashem went on top of the Aaron. And we tried proving the Aaron was 10 with 9 for the Aaron and 1 for the Kapiris. Now, how do we prove that the Kapiris was 1? One night we said we learned it out of the Mizgaris. The other night we said we learned it. Last night we said we learned out Pinay Pinay.
Great. That failed. Because that showed that the total size of the sukkah, including the schach, is ten tvachim. And what we really need is a source that the sukkah is ten tvachim without the schach. You have ten tvachim of living space till the schach. The sukkah itself, the halal, the halal of the sukkah is ten tvachim. So we went to another source. We dropped that source. Now we said from Marsha that we still need it. We'll come back in a second. So we went to another source. And that other source was, and that other source was the, the ratio. We found in the base on Big Dash that the ratio of Kruv to height was one third. The base of English was six, uh, 30 amas high, and the Kruvim were 10 amas high. So, so too in the Mishkan, the Kruvim would be at one third of the height. Now, how tall is the Mishkan? The Mishkan was 60 tvachim tall. 10 amas equals 60 tvachim. How tall is the Kruvim? The Kruvim must have stood at 20 tvachim. Now, Based on what we put in a lot of efforts in the first circle, we know that the Aaron and Kapiris was 10 Tvachim. So if the Kruvim were, and the, we said last night, the Tyre used a, a lotion of Schach for the Kruvim. The Tyre used a lotion of Seichachim by the Kruvim. And therefore, since the Kruvim are Seichachim on, on top of the area underneath it, we see that, ah, oh, an area of 10 is called Schach. But you asked last night, and the Gemara is about to ask now, what got us into this problem in the first place? How do you know that the schach is besides the ten of airspace? How do you know that the schach is above the ten tvachim of airspace? How do you know that the schach is above ten? Maybe the schach is within the ten. And L'chaira you just got us back to the same spot. You didn't do anything for me. So now, you have the Kruvim at 20, and the Arim, the Kapiris, was at 10, so the airspace that the Kruvim, that the Schach, protected over, is once again 10, including the Schach, including the Schach, or the Kruvim that represent the Schach. So, your whole point here was to say that the Kruvim is above, the Schach is above the 10? You ostensibly failed. You lachira failed. Says the Gemara. Oh, quick question. Sure. So we said that it was thirty amas high. To be some igdash. Right, and this was. No, this is the Mishkan. This is ten amas, which is sixty tvachim. One third of sixty tvachim is twenty tvachim. The first ten consist of the Aaron and the Kapiris. Then the Kruvim were another ten, and they are called. The Kruvim look like this. What's ten amos? What's ten amos? The whole Mishkan is ten amos. The Mishkan was ten amos. Mishkan because each carish was ten amos. So the Mishkan is ten amos, which each amos six tvachim, which we're going to get into in a minute. We're going to get into in a minute. Each each uh, amos six tvachim. So the Kruv, so the Mishkan is sixty tvachim. The Kruvim stood at twenty tvachim minus the ten for the Aron and the Kapiris. So the Kruvim schacht over 10 Tvachim. To which the Gemara says, yeah, exactly, but the Kruvim are included in that 10. So you didn't do what you're supposed to do. What about the Mandama that holds 5 Tvachim to an Okay, we'll get there. That, that, that's how we're going to mess this whole thing up. But, one minute. Says the Gemara. Says the Gemara. It's about two-thirds of the way down the page on Hayyamid Bays. The last word on the line is my. Mimai. Says the Gemara, same thing. Mimai, how do you know? Mimai, we just started reading more of this minute. Mimai, how do you know? Digad finu. Iloi reishai hu kaimi. Digad finu. That their wings. Digidu finu. Their wings. Iloi, above reishai their heads, Kaimi, stood, meaning their wings represent the schach. Their heads were at 20 tvachim. So, if the wings were above their heads, then, hey, you have a good source. 
the wing acts as schach. Here is ten, so the schach is at an area above ten tefachim. You're good. But how do you know that that's how the kruvim were constructed? Maybe the wings were equal to their heads. In which case, you're out again. You messed up again. In which case, you see that the schach is within the ten, and we don't need a source for that. Says the Gemara, Mimai, how do you know? Digad finim, their wings. Ilu reshayu kaimi stood above their head. Dilma lahade reshayu kaimi. Maybe they stood equal to their head. Amar of Achabar Yankiv, Lamaliksiv. No. Tyra says their wings were above. So it's all good. It's all good. Beautiful. Which means the Kruvim stood at 10, which means from their feet to their head was 10. Their wings acted as schach because the Tyra calls it schach. And it says lamala. The schach is above the 10. Maybe lamala means like this. Oh. No, no. Lamala means above, the, above their whole thing. Lamala. Above them. The Kruvim were spread wings Lamala above themselves. Above themselves. Lamala above the Kruvim. And the the um, subject of the sentence, we result in English, the subject is the Kruvim. So the above, which is the adjective addressing the subject, is above them. Says the Gemara. (coughs) Okay, you're right, they're above. So maybe schach has to be way above. Maybe you need 10 tvachim of walls and then like 5 tvachim more for schach. You said above. How do you know how above it has to be? If this is your source, as far as where you place the schach, then hey, maybe the schach has to be way above the walls. Says the Gemara... It's not a source of where you place the schach. This is just a minimum shear. Of a sukkah. And, and, but if you're learning out the relationship of a schacht area to its area, and you're saying, oh, the schach is the wings, so there has to be some type of correlation. And if the wings are way above the, the area, maybe it has to be way above. How do you know it's, you know it's mamash flush on the ten? Says the Gemara, ve'ema demidli tuva, maybe they're way above. No, miksev lamala lamala. Does it say above, above? Does it say way above? It says above. So the wings are exactly above the 10. So the 10 is 10, and above the 10 is the wings, and that's a source. Period. Period. So, we now have a second source, and this is actually our only real source, that a sukkah has to be 10 tvachim. And how do we know? (coughs) Just very quickly. We know because we see from the Beis HaMikdash, the ratio of Kruvim to total height is one-third. In the Vesem English, the height was 30, the Kruvim were 10. In the Mishkan, the height is 60 Tvachim, 10 Amis, and the Kruvim stood at 20. And the area that the Kruvim tzachat over was 10 Tvachim. Says the Gemara, one second, says the Gemara, gorgeous Kasha. Hanicha all this math works great. Hanicha, all this works great. Lura Meir, Ben, this is what you asked. Lura Meir, the Omar Kol HaAmas Hayubenanias. All Amas were average Amas, which means there are, Sigmar says there are three possible Shiurim for an Amma. Standard Amma is six Tvachim, there's a miniature Amma, then there's a bigger Amma. Remeyer says, you know what, whenever we use the word Amma, we're talking about a standard Amma, six Tvachim. And all this math was based on an Amma being six Tvachim. Elul Rabbi Yehuda the Amar. Rabbi Yehuda says, Amma shall binyan shisha Tvachim. Rabbi Yehuda says, you're right, when you're talking about a building, like how tall a building is, and you talk in Amas, it means six Tvach Amas. Bishal Kalim Chamisha. But when you're talking about items, tables, chairs, mizbeachs, etc., and Amma's only five tvachim. So your math is messed up. Michael and Mimur, what are you going to say? Which means the Aran was what? The Torah says the Aran was one and a half Amma's high. If you do a six Amma, tefa, six tefach Amma, then it's nine. 
and the kaparis is 10. And the schach was schach over 10, because they were at 20. So 20 minus 10 is 10. Let's say you do a five tefach amo when it's in a keli. So how big was the aron? Seven and a half. 1.5 times five equals seven and a half. So the aron was seven and a half. The kaparis was one, so it's eight and a half. The kruvim still stood at 20. So how much area did the kruvim provide schach over? 11 and a half. Because 20 minus eight and a half, Canadians are good at math. 20 minus eight and a half, I found that always in my Canadian guys, they're all good at math. 20 minus eight and a half is 11 and a half. So if you're Reb Yehuda, if you're Reb Yehuda, then your shear that you learn from the Kruvim is that Tzchach provides Tzchach over an area 11 and a half Tzvachim high. So Suk is going to have to be 11 and a half Tzvachim high. Says the Gemara... Wait, why, is it, why does it make sense to ask a question and say, oh, when you're talking about this, this is how many Tzvachim are in Amma. This is... I mean, it in itself doesn't make... Ruby, it's a non-starter. All over Shas is. And as Rashi says, there were three... Three shiurim of Amis given that, you know, they measured and they had this over the Shar Shushan. You ever take a tour to uh, the, the outside walls, basically, the Shar Shushan Abira? So over the Shar Shushan Abira, they had the, like, model tefach. And that thing had three shiurim. There was, like, the, there was the standard tefach, and there was the bigger one and the smaller one. Rabbi Huda says that always, when you find an alacha, the shear of an ama. So a, a, an amma, when you talk about building, you talk about building is 20 amas high, that's six tefach amas. When you talk about a chair or a keli, then there are five tefach amas all over Shas, Yehuda says that. That amma means different things depending on what you're referring to. When you're referring to a building, amma means six tefach When you're referring to a, a thing, a keli, amma is five tefach. Nothing tells a problem. Uh, well, that, that there's two yeah. uses of the word ama. Yeah. How could how could a foot mean, um, you know? So like it's so like I, it's like you know what it's like. It's really bothers me. Miles and nautical miles. What, what do you mean? A miles a mile. Be a nautical miles under a mile. Because we also do this aver. What's a nautical mile? I don't know, but here to Auckland is like you know fourteen thousand nautical miles. But like you know, it's, in real miles would be fifteen miles. But, <laughs> Like nautical miles in Gatnish, does it? Like there's, there's like an underzach. Like well, a mile's a mile. What do you mean? A mile's fifty two hundred feet. No? no, not a nautical mile. I'm serious. <laughs> and like, why can't they talk in miles? I was talking knots anyway. Um, but like, but like, no, we also do this. And then there's like tons and metric tons. Vosramaisa. You know, we also play this game. Uh, we have like a zach that we want to call it. And then, like, you know, I'm all it means this, I'm all it means that. So they're all going to do that also. All right. I can see now. So, so according to Rabbi Huda, you have a source that you need, that a schach is a schach when it's 11 and a half tfachim over its floor. Because, the, because we know the schach was at one-third of the height of the mishka. So if the schach was at one-third of the height of the mishka, the schach stands at 20 tfachim. The schach stands above 20 tfachim. So if the schach stands above 20 tfachim, and then the area that it's schacht over is until the top, top of the arn. Well, if the top of the arn is at 10, you have a perfect raya. Schach is schach over 10 tfachim. But if the top of the arn, based on five tefach amos, is seven and a half plus one is eight and a half, then the schach schachs over 11 and a half tfachim over its floor. So you have a source that has has to be 11 and a half tfachim high. It's not what you want. No, because we learned, however we learned, that it is a tefach. Now, the amma might have less tfachim, but a tefach is a tefach. Right? <laughs> I always make that mistake. Says the, says the Gemara, El Rabbi Huda the Amar, Amma shall binyan shisha tfachim. Then an amma, you're right, in a building, that's six tvachim. Vishal kalim. But an amma in a keli is chamisha Michael Amemar. What are you going to say now? Because iron, the kapiris, the iron together with the kapiris, kama heve. How much is that? Kama heve luhu, tam palga, eight and a half, because you have 
5 times 1.5 is 7.5 plus 1 is 8.5. Pashu that leaves over till the schach. Chatzre upalga, 11 and a half. Ema sukkah, so I should say, sukkah to have a chatzre upalga. Sukkah is not a sukkah unless it's 11 and a half fucking high. Game over. Which means you had this first source with the rishus with 10 tvachim. Didn't work. Then the sukkah is going to have to be within 10. Schach has to be within 10. You brought this whole new source from the Kruvim, which works only in Remeyer that an Amma is six Tvachim. But in Rabbi Huda, that an Amma is five Tvachim, it doesn't work. So it says the Gemara, you know what? I give up. I'm not finding a source in the Torah that a Sukkah has to be ten Tvachim. It's a Halach Lameshim Sinai. Says the Gemara, Ela Rabbi Huda, Hilchisa Gimirila. According to Rabbi Huda, the sheer for sukkah is halacha mishmasina. Now we're going to spend the next little while discussing three major areas of halacha l'mayshimisina. The Omar Rabbi Bar Ashi, Omar Rav, and you know, listen, this fits into a well-known rule. Says Rabbi Bar Ashi in the name of Rav Shiurin, all of our Shiurin, which we're going to talk about right now. Kizayas, Kibbeya, Kigrigris, Kisaira, all of our Shiurim that we all discuss are all Halachlamish Messianis. And Shiurim, Chatzitzin, the Chatzitzas when it comes to Mikvah, and Mechitzin, walls for Eros, for Sukkah, for Shabbos, are all Halachlamish Messianis. By the way, by the way, halachim shemisinai is only applied to Jews. So whenever we deal with a guy, there's no shiurim. There's no shiurim, which you know has myriad nafkamidus. There's a famous shir from Rabbi Aaron, and quotes from Chassam Seifer, that one of the main shiurim we're familiar with is thirteen. We deal with a person as a person once he's thirteen. Or for a girl, 12. If a guy has no shiurim, as soon as a guy has intelligence, which for some is eight or nine years old, for, for some is 80 or 90, but like, but like for a Jew, too bad. I don't care if you're smart or stupid, unless you're potter, it's when you're 13. For a guy, if you have an intelligent little boy, nine-year-old guy who gets it, he's high of like an adult. Because you don't get the use of shiurim. Shiurim are invariably a ptor. Shiurim are invariably a help. Which means you could do something that's wrong, but not enough of it, you're off the hook. But if you don't have the aid, the assistance, the protection, that's the word I'm looking for, the protection of a shiur, then you aren't shielded from what you did wrong because you didn't do enough of it, or you're not enough chayiv. When a 12-year-old guy does something, he's not enough chayiv. He doesn't have the requisite shear. When a guy who's intelligent does something when he's 12, he doesn't have any shield. He doesn't have any ptor. Because shiurim, this is the source, some cypher says, shiurim are Allah HaMashmi and Allah HaMashmi were given to Jews and not to Gaim. So the Gaim have the rules, and they don't have the protections of the shiurim that shiurim provide to us. So, we're going to ask a kasha, and we're not even going to finish the kasha tonight. Shiurim? Dairaisaninu? What are you talking about that a shir is a halachal amishimisinai? Shiurim is a pasik in the Torah. Now, there's a pasik in the Torah that we read in Parshas Ekev, in which the Torah is describing how great Eretz Yisrael is. Eretz Yisrael is so great that it's blessed with seven species. Now, what are these Shivas Haminim? Aragamar explains, you know what's so special about the Shivas Haminim? They're not just fruits. They're actually, each one is a source for a shear in the Torah. And that's how the Torah is, that's what Rashi explains, that's how the Torah is praising Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is the coolest land. It does taste apples in America, it may be a delicious fruit, but we don't learn any halachas from apples. So it's not such a cool fruit. All the Paris that are indigenous to Eretz Yisrael 
are special because they're not only delicious, they teach you a halacha. And we're going to learn from that Pasik, Eretz, Chitas, Eretz, Kef, and Tehna, Rimaid, each one is going to tell us a new shear. So this is all under that kasha, which we're not going to resolve for a while because we have to do all the shiurim first. But this is the kasha we're asking. You said shiurim Allah They're not. They're a pasuk in the Torah. So now we have to go through it. So let's at least do one tonight. land that has wheat, barley. Vines, figs, pomegranates, oil, and date honey. V'omer Rabchanan says Rabchanan kala pasik hazeh l'shiurim namar. This whole pasik was said for shiurim. Chita is by far the most complicated. Namar chita lebeis hamenuga. It said wheat for a house with saras. So we know that a house could get saras, although Gemara says in in the Sanhedrin that it never really happened. But we know that a house could get tzaras. When a house gets tzaras, if someone enters it, they become tummy. Now the problem is, the Pasuk describes two actions that a person does in the house. One action is that a person comes in the house, he becomes tummy. Then the Torah says, if a person eats in the house, he becomes tummy. So, that's a problem. Why does the Torah need to describe two actions, two bars, about entering into a house with saras? Say, if you come into a house with saras, you get tameh. Why does it say, if you come into a house with saras, you get tameh? If you eat in a house with saras, you get tameh. Well, duh, if I eat in the house, I have to come in the house. So that's superfluous. So, the Gemara learns out that there's two levels of Tumah. If a person walks into a house with Tzaras, he becomes Tumah immediately. If a person walks into a house wearing clothing, the clothing have a delay, have a lag time, until they become Tumah. How long is the lag time for my clothing to become tummy as long as it takes to eat a meal. So a person can walk into a house with saras and right away he becomes tummy. His clothing doesn't become tummy until he spends enough time to eat a meal. And that's how we make both of these psukim necessary. You become tummy immediately upon walking into the house that has saras. Your clothing becomes Tameh only after you've spent enough time to eat a meal. Reb Chaim explains in, in Reb Chaim al-Rambam that basically your clothing is a secondary Tumah from you. So like there needs to be a delay. You need to like get the Tumah absorbent. It's a very cool concept. You need to get the Tumah absorbent and pass it on to your clothing. So says the, says the Gemara. If, it, if, it, if it's getting to me, you no, so that's what Reb Chaim says. It's not literally that because then you have your issue. It's like a delay in passing it. But it's, it's the same overall tumma that ha- like, like splits, like it zaps you first and then like it like recharges its zappage and zaps your clothes. Um, <laughs> Reb Chaim Mamish goes through that as far that you said. Says the Gemara like this. Now we still haven't discussed how wheat comes into this. We learned in the mission. Hanichnas lebeis hamenuga, someone who enters a house with saras, v'kelav al ksefov, he's holding his clothing. His clothing's on his shoulder. V'sandalav and his shoes, v'tabatav and his rings, biyade are on are in his hand, not on his hand. Meaning he's not wearing his clothing. So then, hu v'hein tmeimiyad, they and him all become tamei immediately upon entry. You become tummy right away the minute you walk in. But, Hayalavush Kalav, if he was wearing his clothing, Visandalav Baraglav, and his shoes were on his feet, he was wearing them. Vitabaisav Baetzbaisav, and his rings were on his fingers, he was wearing them. Hutamimiya. He becomes tummy immediately, without any lag, without any delay, he becomes tummy immediately. 
Behain Tahirin, they remain Tahar Ad Shigisha Bechdei Achila. Well, it says Achila, so I'll finish the word in a minute. Until you eat. And this is how we satisfy both parts of the Pasik. Pasik says you come in your tummy, that's you. Or Caleb not being warm. The Pasik says you have to eat there, yeah. Caleb, shoes and clothing being worn only becomes tame when you spend enough time there. Now, here's the question. And this is a, this is a very important Gemara for all of Shas. What is a meal? So a meal is, says the Gemara, Bechdei Achilas Pras. So I'm sure you've heard this Lashem before. Bechdei Achilas Pras. What's Pras? Pras is half. Pras is a piece. A half a loaf of bread. So whenever you find something that you need a share of two meals, for instance, an Eruv, has to be two meals, so it's not Kedei Achilles Pras, it's a whole loaf of bread. Kedei Achilles Pras is a half a loaf of bread. And that is a meal. That's a meal all over Shas. So you want to know how long you have to eat, how much you have to eat on Yom Kippur, how, the sheer of time for eating, Kedei Achilles Pras. Kedei Achilles is, the amount of meal is a half a loaf of bread. Now, we've had bread and we've had bread. Sometimes, you know, I remember in Eretzal, you get like a chal in the beginning of the meal, you get to eat that whole thing in 10 minutes, right? Sometimes you get like Arnold um, multigrain bread. It's posh, like, you know, it takes 15 minutes to eat one slice. It's mamish not to die. You're just eating so you don't die. So how long does it take to eat a half a loaf of bread? It all depends on the bread on the situation and what you have on the bread. Says the Gemara, pras, pras, eating a half a loaf of bread, what kind of bread? Paschitin, wheat bread, which is the best kind of bread. Meaning barley bread and oat bread and for sure Ezekiel bread. Does any of your wives do the Ezekiel bread? Ezekiel, you know from the Ezekiel bread? At some point we did it. Yeah. So those breads, it takes much longer to get down. Wheat bread, normal challah, you can eat quicker. So that makes the shear shorter. Vulay paser, not barley bread. Masive, when you're relaxed. Which means, if let's say, I don't know if you ever, like, I'm sure it's happened to you, that you had to eat a sandwich while you're working. So it takes much longer to eat. Like, you know, you have to drink a cup of coffee when you're trying to do something else. It takes much longer. So if you're involved in like your work, you take a bite of your sandwich, then you like you type more stuff in the email, then you go back to your sandwich, then you type more stuff in the email, then you go back to your sandwich. Take if you're massive, you're relaxed. You're not you're not doing anything else. You're eating, you know, only eating. Belift them with relish. We could, you know, a little dip on the challah, a little olive oil, a little pepper dip, a little dip. Then, you can eat it with, with dip. That's how long Kedechilas process. That is the shear that wheat provides us in the Torah. If you want to know what shear is learned from wheat, what shear does wheat teach us? Wheat teaches us the shear for how long Kedechilas process, which is to eat a half a loaf of bread. What kind of bread? Wheat bread. That is the shear we learn from wheat. Okay, we'll stop here. What's the nafkamina with the clothes? Hmm?